Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll be in the book of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, as we take a break from our verse-by-verse study, and we have a topical study entitled, And Whoever Lives and Believes in Me Shall Never Die. Do you believe this? This is the first half of this two-part study. I simply entitled this in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We'll look at it in three parts. We'll look at it as surrounded by comfort and concern in verses 17 through 19, surrounded by grief and questions in verses 20 through 22, and then surrounded by the power of Christ in verses 23 through 27. And that's probably where we're going to camp out the most. As we look at this, this verse, one of the things that we see is that uh, right off the bat, this story pretty much consumes chapter 11. And, and the first thing that we'll see is that they were surrounded by comfort and concern. So when Jesus came in verse 17, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So Lazarus is dead four days, and now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. I love this because Lazarus, Mary, and Martha had very strong ties with Jesus and the disciples. They were family. And people come and surround them with comfort in their time of mourning. And right now, the family will be surrounded with comfort. But I'm going to ask you a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, that you keep checking on them. Grief, on average, takes between 18 to 24 months. There will be days when you're in the valley and you cannot see your hand in front of your face. That's how heavy the grief is. But then there will be days when you can see across the valley and there'll just be a little bit of mist. And those are the good days. But then a song comes on, a photograph is seen, and you're thrown right back into it again. And can I tell you, you serve a God that will send people that will comfort you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, it says, Nevertheless, who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. When Paul and them needed comfort, God sent them Titus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Not some comfort, all. All. That's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of His attributes, that He stands outside of time. He knows your whole story. 
He knows exactly because one out of one people die. He knows exactly the date and the time that he's calling you home to be with him. But he will comfort those that are here. Why does it hurt so bad? Because the relationship is so deep. Me and my wife try to just wrap our head around. We've known each other since high school. Same as Flora and Tony. And I'm like, I don't know how I would get through it. I don't. And how many of y'all knew Tony since high school? Okay, I need to hear all the stories. Because I've heard some. I've heard some. I love them. But he says that he is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in not some of our tribulation, but all our tribulation. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which he, uh, we ourselves are comforted by God. So what he says is the thing that you go through, you're going to use, God's going to use that so you can comfort somebody because somewhere in your life, at some point, there'll be a father, a son, and a husband that's been lost. And a daughter, a mother, and a spouse will be able to comfort the person that has lost that person. You'll be able to actually sit and, and preach with them and talk with them and pray with them and listen to them and cry with them because you've been through it. God provides the comfort for those that are in tribulation. And he does that for Mary and Martha. Now we see Mary, uh, Martha is going to have questions. She's surrounded by grief and questions. In verse 20 it says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha, man, she hears Jesus is coming. She takes off to get to Jesus. Mary goes to Jesus as well. If you read the remainder of the story in, in, the, in, in John 11, understand this. In your time of grief, run to Jesus. Mary and Martha went to Jesus with their questions, with their grief, with their concerns. And we see, you know, at, at some point that they, you know, Jesus, they, they sent a message to, to uh, Jesus. They said in John 11, verse 3, Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus stays two more days at the Jordan River. So you can imagine where Martha is. She's like, Lord, did you, did you get my message? Did you hear me? And that's what we see in the next verses. Is, is now Martha said, and this is the beauty of Scripture. There's humanity in it. That's the reason why we read God's Word. There's humanity in it. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha's like, I, did you not get the message, Jesus? Why didn't you come quickly? Why did you stay two more days? And we do the same thing in our grief. Why didn't you answer my prayer? We were praying. Why did you take my, my brother? Why did you take my father, my son, my husband? That's the humanity of Scripture. And Jesus is there. And we ask these same questions. And then she has her composure and she says, but even now I know that Whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Martha came to Jesus with her questions and her grief and her concerns and her hour of need. Can I tell you that if you don't deal with your grief, your grief will come up in other ways? If you try to push your grief down and think that I'm not just, I, I'm not dealing with it. I told the church last week, court as a Marine, I was in the Army. We both had men that we lost in combat. You know, the beauty of the Army is they tell you to just put that back in your box. 
because the next day you got to go back out and you're back in Iraq again trying to live. And then all of a sudden you retire from the military and you're dealing with your grief. And it comes up in alcohol. It comes up in other addictions because you're trying to just stop that feeling, that pain. And you can't. You need to let that stuff out. You need to cry. Cry. It's okay. You need to be. If you've got to be like Mary and go, Lord, where were you? It's okay. You go to God. You go to God for the God of all comfort with your questions and your grief. Now we see the beauty of this is that Jesus, I love this in verses 23 through 26, that they're surrounded by the power of Christ. They're surrounded by the power of Christ. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last days. The beauty of these verses that we're going to look at as we, we finish this up is, is the understanding that there was nothing that was doctrinally concrete until Jesus makes this statement. There are things in Job and there are things that David writes about in Hosea of life after death. But we see that when Jesus says what he says in these verses, he's confirming it. Job asked the question, he lost all of his children. He lost everything. In Job 14, 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? Job asked the question. And again, in Job 19, verses 25 through 26, beautiful song, for I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on earth, on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that my flesh I shall see God. Job was asking and wanting to know there has to be an afterlife. There has to be something after death. And Daniel wrote about it as well, pointing to the Messiah. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the, uh, of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Da da Daniel's pointing to the Messiah. David writes about it in Psalm 22, verse 29, And all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and, and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who can't, uh, cannot keep himself alive. Understand what, what David is, is writing about. Uh, we see that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 10 through 11, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you don't do it now, you'll do it at some point that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. He tells us in Psalm 23, verse 4, that you'll get through the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes getting through the valley is eternal life, heaven. You'll get through the valley, but sometimes it's death. And that's why he finishes it in Psalm 23, verse 6, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Hosea wrote in Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. So we see all these scriptures. And then what happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament is unfortunately philosophy. Greek philosophy. And they start throwing ideas around like, well, what happens to man after death? And you get Hinduism and all that stuff. And, well, you weren't a good person. You come back as a cricket. Well, that's not true. That's not true. 
They couldn't answer the question. Man could never answer the question until this moment when Jesus says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's part of the I am statements in the book of John. And there's a reason why those are there. Who do you say sent me? I am the son of God through the book of John. And he's saying this, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives, believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? And this is a radical statement that requires every one of you that hears this to decide what you believe. You have to. It is a radical statement. Do you believe it? Do you believe there's an afterlife? Do you think that your good will outweigh your bad? I used to think that for 39 years I walked this earth not following God. I had a grandmother and a grandfather that never went to church, never talked about God, and not unless there was a, a, a deathbed confession, they are in hell today. Grew up with an alcoholic father, divorced, watched my mom and dad divorce when I was seven years old. She married a drug addict who was physically abusive. My father, who was verbally abusive, when he was drunk, would love to beat on my stepmom. And I said, you know what, I'll never be like them. By 17, I was married, and I was within, by 18, I was just like them. I was verbally abusive to my wife and my kids. Struggling. Struggling. 22 years of marriage, and my wife says, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing this no more. She left me with all five kids. And thank God she did, because if she would have left and taken the kids, I would have been gone. And then so she started going to church. And so you know what men do, right? Well, I'll go to church. I'll smooth things over. Right? That's what we do as men, just FYI. So I went. Did that for a little bit. She came back home, home for Christmas, home for New Year's. January 3rd, I broke her laptop, threw it out the door, and off she went again. And nobody to blame but me. And you know what I realized in that moment? I have no belief. I have no idea where I'm going when I die. I have no idea what's going to happen to my life because everything that I tried as man to try to fix every problem, I couldn't fix anymore. I ran out of options. And I'd be sitting in church and I'd hear, and they'd be like, you got to make a decision. And I'm like, I don't want to make a decision. I'd sit in the very back of the church. As soon as church was over, I was gone. Out the door I went. This demands a statement. It, it demands an answer from you. Same way it did for me when I was sitting in service. Ended up giving my life to Christ watching a goofy movie called The Fireproof. Somebody told me, hey, you got to watch this movie, Fireproof. It's got Kirk Cameron in it. I was like, I know that, that guy from Growing Pains. I remember watching him when I was a kid. So I watched it, and I realized I was Caleb. I looked good on the outside, not physically. I mean, I get it. I, I mean, I understand it, right? I got a mirror. I, I get it. But I looked, I looked the part. I was an Army combat veteran, highly decorated. My wife's, oh, they all thought I walked on water as a husband. They never knew what happened behind closed doors. I was a hypocrite. I was. January 11, 2009, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and never looked back. I just remember the pastor saying, you got to say something. you got to confess your sins. you got to ask Christ into your heart. And there I was on the floor crying, like trying to confess every sin from, <laughs> from age five. And I'm, I'm Lord's probably like, come on, stop. I, 
You know, you're justified. You're, you're, you're just as if you not sinned because you're mine now. But we get this statement, and it's very important to understand that when we get this statement from Jesus, it's doctrinally securing the, that there is life after death, but he's going to talk about the two definitions of biblical death in this. And one of them is, is when you breathe your last. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 8, it says, Then Abraham breathed his last. We also know when Jesus was on the cross in Mark 15, 37, it says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. To breathe your last means that your brain stops functioning. You're not receiving oxygen anymore. We would call this being clinically dead. Now, for a follower of Christ, this is very important to get. Tony breathed his last here on this earth, but he was never separated from a holy God. He was never separated from God because he was spiritually alive in Christ. So he didn't die the second death. The second death is when you are separated from a holy God. You know, you'll hear Christians say, you need to come to know faith. You need to come. Let me tell you something. Okay? It's very important that you get this. The reason why it's not heaven. Heaven's great. It's bonus. It's like, hey, man, we get to worship God. All right. Awesome. Right? And some of you are like, I don't know, man. Is this church all the time? I'll probably be cleaning Tony's pool. I keep telling him that. I was like, I know I'm going to be cleaning Tony's pool up there because he, he was a man of God. The thing is, though, is that it's, it's understanding that your sin keeps you separated from a holy God. And because of that, you're spiritually dead. And it would be no different of calling you the walking dead. I was that for 39 years. So I'm not trying to throw something out there that you wouldn't understand. I did that for 39 years. We know this in, in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And who were dead in their trespasses and sins, in which once uh, you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who knows the works and the sons of disobedience, among whom also we, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You're an enemy to God. If you haven't chosen to follow him. I was that. When I read this verse. Oh I was dead in my trespasses and sins. What it means to be dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespasses means in the Greek. That you whatever you do. You can't reach the goal. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. You can't stop. You can't reach the goal. You're doing it in your own will. I'm going to stop drinking. You do it for six months. People do that for Lent all the time, right? I'm going to stop. And as soon as Lent's over, they're lit and tore up that night. Because you'll never reach your goal. You can run a marathon every time. And you'll fall short of the goal every time. Sin means that you miss the mark. I don't know how many of y'all were in Texas. Everybody shoots guns here. And and you you got to be a crack shot. I, I've been told that... That big Kirk back there, his wife is a better shot than him. And I'm finding out that a lot of the women are better shot than men <laughs> in Texas. But the thing is, is I can give you a million bullets and you'll miss the mark every time. You will not be able to hit the bullseye because of your sin. But the key to that verse is, is that you're following the prince and the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So if you're, if you're not following God, you're following Satan. You're following the devil, the enemy. Yeah. 
But see, that's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so what we're talking about here is you, you're talking about one, the physical death, and then one, the spiritual death. But that's why he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Yes, our bodies are, are referred to as tents in the scripture, right? They're tents, they're groaning, is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. That for we who are in the tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to unclothe, but, uh, but further clothe that mortality that may be swallowed up with life. It were, these bodies that we have are referred to as tents. Now, any dad that's in here that's over the age of 30, you make noises when you get up. Your body groans. And anyone who's over the age of 50, you may pull a muscle trying to get out of bed. Your body's giving out on you. It's giving out on you. You turn over, you get a cramp. Something's not right. Right? But as we get older, the body gives way. And so when Jesus says this statement, it's a radical statement because he's, he's saying, like, even in that verse, if you read it a little bit further down, it talks about to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And so when he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So that's an important statement. But the key to that statement is if Lazarus doesn't come out of the tomb, then Jesus is just probably a good teacher. But do you understand there were eyewitnesses that saw Lazarus come out of the tomb? And why does he say Lazarus come forth? Because if he doesn't say Lazarus, everybody in every tomb comes out. And can you imagine the intense, like, hey, is he coming out? Did he just say Lazarus been dead for four days? You know how funky that guy is? He just told him to come out. And he comes out. And so Jesus, now we have eyewitnesses, not only that have seen this, but they want to kill Lazarus now, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Oh, we can't have this. So they want to kill him. And so Jesus proves the statement when he says, Lazarus, come out. And then God proves it when Jesus is on the cross and he's resurrected. There is life after death. And these bodies will give out on you. Whether it's through age or accident or illness or disease, your body will give up. But the question is, is what happens to your spirit? We get a new body. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, Who will transform our lowly body, that it might be conformed to his glorious body. Tony now has a glorious body because he was never separated from God. Like, I'm going to see my brother again. Oh, and we're going to talk because we have eternity now to talk. You have the security of knowing that I'm going to see that person again. Can you imagine that? What if your wife has given her heart to Christ and you have it? Are, are you okay with going to hell and her going to heaven? Do you believe this? Because I don't know about you, but I want a new body. Because this one's busted. I got an autoimmune disease. I have a, a, something called porphyria on top of it. I've been sick since I was 28 years old. I'm ready for a new one. But you got to ask yourself, am I, am I spiritually dead? Am I living for the flesh? Am I living for the world? Or am I living for God? In Romans chapter, five verses, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 8, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the, of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set the things on the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, minded is death. So if you're focused on living for this world, is death. 
but to be spiritual minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. You're at war with God. See, this is what Tony would have wanted you to hear, the gospel. This is what he was trying to get to you is the gospel. That's what we live for. Because he says, look, if you're not living for God, you're at enmity with God. How do you think that's going to work out? Because it tells me I have life and I have peace. I don't know what you got. And I can tell you in this world, we don't have that right now. But you're living for the things of the flesh. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I can tell you, I have chased every one of those for 39 years. When we talk about the lust of the flesh, we're talking about the pursuit of pleasure. Oh, we have a, a world that is pursuing pleasure, right? We see it. The pride of life, materialism. Oh, if I could just get another one. Maybe I get that new phone. I need that new house. I need that. You know, if we move from California to Texas, we can get a bigger house, right? I can get like a six, six room for what we pay in California. I can get an acre of land, right? But we're always thinking in materialism. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light and you'll find it. 